0: Okay, let's see. All right, so we're going to start. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're actually get going to get into the Bible 23 minutes in. Um, if, By the way, if you guys like are busy, you're thinking this might be a 30-minute thing, and you got like class at 7 or something, feel free to just get up and leave while I'm talking. Don't feel uh, like you can't do that. So if you have to do that, whatever. Because who knows, I could just ramble on all night. Not really. I'll, I'll try not to, but... I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into this. God, thank you for the opportunity to come here um, and to just get into your word, God, starting in Romans. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a word to know you more. Um, You've given us specifically a book that is just filled with the hope of the gospel, um, the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ who saves us, um, God, I pray that you would you would have favor on this Bible study, um, that, that you would just increase people's love for you, including mine, um, that we would begin to know your word more, that we would begin to know you more. Um, and I just pray that this would become a community, God, where we get to know each other more um, and where you, ultimately you would be glorified, you would be magnified, that we would treasure you more than anything else in our life, God, by looking into your word and knowing you. Um, I thank you, God, and I pray this in your name. amen amen Amen. all right all right so um did you guys get a chance to read the the text romans 1 1 through 7 1 through 7 okay um i think the way i'm going to do it because i did you guys have i'm not asking for the questions now but did you come up with questions or like thoughts do you hate everything you read do you love it I always, um, the questions at all, what I'm thinking is once we get to a certain part that you can bring up a question you might have, if no one has a question, it's cool, uh, maybe question will come up while we're talking about it, um, but again, like once, like I said last week, when I'm, when I'm st- talking about it or whatever, I love interaction I would love for this not to just be me talking at you, but like communication, so feel free to just be like, hey, what does that mean, help explain this, what does the word uh, resurrection mean, like, throw, throw it out there, and then we can talk about it, it'd be better, you know, because I just want to as collectively understand it more, rather than me just talking at you, so feel free to do that. Um, so... To start it off, um, we are starting this letter. And it's important to obviously know, like, who's writing this. So this is, like I said last week, a letter to Christians in Rome. Um, There are churches in Rome. Jesus had just recently died. He had just recently rose from the dead. And the whole world... um, was about to be spread with the gospel of the hope of Jesus Christ from what he did with his life and so think Christianity is spreading and so people have different ideas people need help understanding what's going on and so letters are being written by men chosen by God um, one of those was Paul so Paul wrote the letter of Romans and um, in order to understand Romans it would be good to understand Paul so Paul is a guy who wrote a letter to a book called the Romans. Or Romans. He wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians to a church uh, in Corinth. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, maybe Hebrews, people don't know. 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. So this guy Paul wrote a lot of letters in the Bible, right? He wrote a lot of different letters to a lot of different churches, different people, um, and so what he is, is someone who is an authority figure in the church, writing these letters, um, sharing the hope of the gospel with people who need to hear it. Um, so that's Paul. He, before he became a Christian, before he put his trust in Jesus Christ, he was actually murdering Christians. So he was a, he was a Jew, like religiously a Jew. He believed in the Jewish religion. And so what he did was, he, the, the message that the Christians were saying was opposed to the Jewish message. The Christians were saying, the Savior has come to the world, and he is Jesus Christ. And the Jewish people didn't believe that. They, were, they said, no, the Savior has not come yet. And so the Jewish people, not all of them, but um, some of them, and Paul was a part of some of them, were killing the Christians for saying what they were saying. Paul was one of those people. The person who wrote the letter we're looking at, he was killing Christians. And then, one day while he was on his way to a city called Damascus, um, which I think is in Lebanon today, he, he was on his way there, on his way to kill Christians. The Bible says he was angry. He was breathing out threats against Christians. While he was on his way there, it says that a light shone from heaven and he fell off his donkey and it blinded him. And it was, it was Jesus Christ. And Jesus um, said, Why are you persecuting me? And so Jesus confronted Paul and what he was doing. And Paul became a Christian that day. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. He saw him face to face. And so from then on, he started changing. He became a messenger to go out to the churches, write these letters. He be- went from killing Christians to someone who was writing books in the Bible to other Christians. So a radical change in his life happened there. Um, so this, this book, Romans specifically, um, is a lot of people would say it's the most complete picture in all of the Bible that we have of, in one book, of what the gospel is. Um, the gospel is like a, a Christianese word um, it's it's maybe not well understood outside of Christianity, um, but so w- w- what would you guys say, like in your opinion, that the gospel is like when I say Romans is about the gospel. Where do you th- what do you think the gospel means when I say that? Does anyone have any uh, opinions? What does that word mean to you, Cameron?
1: God. <laughs>
2: Him speaking to you directly, Mm -hmm. or you reading the Bible, and you're receiving His word.
0: So Mm -hmm. that's of how I think. Okay. Does anyone else have other (laughs) other ways they see gospel, what that word means to them? So does 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 anyone know what the word gospel means, like as just a word? Good news. What did you? What were you gonna say? Truth. Truth. It's closer to good news. Good news. Um, And so, just as like a, this isn't from the text, I'm about to get into the text in 10 seconds, but from a foundational standpoint, we have to build on the gospel, what the gospel is, because that's what the book is all about. And it's going to explain the gospel all throughout. Um, But what the gospel is, is it's good news, like you said. And... There has to be some sort of standard of why news is good, right? There's got to be like bad news, just normal news. Um, so it's good news because we are sinners, like every single one of us in here. If I said, "Have you ever lied before?" it would it would everyone would say yes. Have you ever uh, stolen anything before? Have you ever taken God's name in vain, saying like? what is it? do they have no oh. i think we can yeah. you all hear me yeah. i'm not the most yeah. outspoken okay yeah, it's not I, okay, there. okay. if yeah as, as long as it stays that volume i think we should be good okay. appreciate though no you're good you're good um so we've all sinned we've all like fallen short of a perfect standard no, no none of us in here are perfect um And the truth is, is that God is perfect. God is perfect. He created everything. He is all-powerful. He has never sinned. He's never told a lie. He's never failed. He's never um, thought an evil thought. So his standard is perfection. And actually to, to spend eternity with him, which is paradise, which is heaven, which is what you go nine out of ten people on the street, you say, what do you think will happen when you die? They say, you know, I'll I'll end up in heaven or I'll go to a better place, people say. um, That's what they believe is that it's just going to be with God or with some angels floating around, chubby baby angels shooting arrows or something like that. Um, But the Bible actually tells us is that God's standard is perfection to be in heaven with Him because He's perfect. It would be an insult to him to dwell forever with evil people whose hearts are actually sinful. And so we need perfection to go to heaven. That's bad news, you know? Like that's not good because I'm imperfect, which means I should be in hell. That's the truth. That's that's the picture that the Bible paints all throughout it. Is that what I've done, To God in rebellion against him is deserving of hell. That's bad news for me. Like that's really bad news for me and for all of us in here because it's the same news for all of us. Um, And what the gospel is is that God did not just leave us that way. He didn't just say, well, you missed the mark and so you're going to hell. What he did is that he made a way and that's through Jesus Christ. That was why Jesus Christ came to begin with. He didn't come just as a, um, an example, a good moral teacher, just to give us some cool metaphors and stories that we're tripping out on, like, wow, that's deep, dude. Like, that's, that's not why he came. He didn't just come like a Buddha or a Muhammad or someone like that who died and is still buried. Um, he came to live the life that you could never live. He came to live perfectly, obey every single law that God ever made, live perfectly like you could never live perfectly. You will never live perfectly. You aren't living perfectly right now, right? My best prayer is filled with so much sin that it would send me to hell. The best prayer I've ever prayed in my life. When I um, am nice to someone, my kindness to them is still not motivated out of a pure heart. That my heart is sinful, right? I, I hope someone sees me being kind. Like I, I want to get recognition for being kind. There's a, just a plethora of reasons why our heart is sinful. So Jesus came. He wasn't just our example, but a substitute. In that he took the place, lived the life you should have lived. He died on the cross, the death that you should have died for your sin. He bore the punishment from God that was deserving for us. He took that on, his, on himself and he rose from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death. So the good news is that when we put our trust in him, when we give our life to him, when we repent of our sins, when we actually feel bad for our sins and when we want to turn to God instead of our sin, when we trust in Jesus, then we can have the hope of being with him forever because then his sacrifice is counted for us. As hope, right? But if we don't put our trust and faith in him, then what he did on that cross doesn't apply to us. He's not our savior if we reject him. And so that's what the gospel is. The gospel is that I can't do anything good enough on my own to earn God's favor. But Jesus did everything good enough in my place so that when I trust in him for my salvation, then I can have hope. So that's what Romans is breaking down here. Um, It expands on that idea um, that we are so sinful. We are more sinful than we can ever imagine. Our hearts are more wicked and deceitful than we could ever imagine. But by trusting in Christ, we can be more loved than we could ever know. That's what the gospel is all about. And it's the beautiful contrast between our sinfulness and God's possible love for us in spite of us. So that's what it's about. Let's um, actually get into the the reading here. Um, so would someone be so willing to read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 for us here tonight? Yes, sir. Do it. It's all you. Actually, can you read until verse 3, and then Dion, if you could read to, from verse 4 to seven because you like both raised your hand at the same time and I didn't want to be a jerk and just pick up so you both have got this all right one through three four through seven. seven Amen. Okay. So, Paul, Paul introduces this letter, and right out of the gate, he explains, like, the gospel. Like, he explains um, the heart of his message, because this is about Jesus Christ. So there's six things um, that we can learn about the gospel, the hope of the gospel, like I said, who Jesus was, what he did, what our hope can be in him. Six things from this passage that I want to highlight. Um, They are, the origin of the gospel is God. The revelation of the gospel comes from the Bible. The center of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The reach of the gospel is to all the world. The purpose of the gospel is the obedience of faith. And the goal of the gospel is the glory of God's name. Are you raising your hand? Oh, okay. I, I thought because it was a backwards hand raise. I was like, it can't be. But if it was like that. Okay, cool. Sweet. So, so those are the six things. The origin, the revelation, the center, the reach, the purpose, and the goal of the gospel. That's what I want to hit on this, um, in this text. So, first thing that we see here is Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Um, and so... The first thing that he says, the way he introduces himself, what I think is pretty cool, is that um, he's a servant, right? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And the, the actual like, language of that, in the, the original language of the New Testament is Greek, right? So there's a nice yep. fact there. And so the original language, what, what it was conveying was the idea of an actual slave, He's saying, like, basically saying, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, right? It's, it gives an image of having given himself wholly to Jesus Christ, completely to Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Master, the King of his life, and that's who he is. He's given his life to Christ, and um, I don't have just quick notes on that. Is that um, the idea of slave is? justifiably um, messed up now because we know how we've, horrible things have been, but in the past. Um, but the reason that slavery is bad is be, from our perspective is because um, what the master wants to do to the slave and use the slave for is often bad. It just even just working for free for no pay like that is a terrible thing. But the reason that Paul can say he's a servant or he's a slave of Christ Jesus, and that'd be a good thing, is because the master, Christ Jesus, is the most um, the most incredible treasure that anyone could have. So to be a servant of Christ Jesus is different from some random, earthly person who's a master, who's a jerk, who doesn't pay. To be a servant of Christ Jesus is the highest honor that any human being could have. But to spend one's whole life working to the glory of Jesus is the best honor anyone could have. So when Paul says he's a servant of Christ Jesus, it's it's not a negative term, but a term of honor. Um, so he moves on. Does anyone have any thoughts or questions? Yeah, 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 totally. Right. He says called to be an apostle. And I think to build upon that, he strands as Paul a servant. He's proud of it. Yeah. He's not like, oh yeah, just like, I'm awesome. He's like, no, he's proud of it. Mm-hmm. Like I am servant of Christ Jesus. He he's happy to say that. He he feels it. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah, another thing is that like this letter he's trying to prove to these Romans that he's legit. Like they don't they don't really know him too well. He's never visited their church yet. Um there's a, like there's some arguing between the Jewish and the non-Jewish Christians there. Um and so what he's doing is he's saying, "I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm not in this for any I'm not choosing sides. I'm not whatever. Like I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, and so if if our main pursuit is Christ, then with Paul they can say, "Oh, come on in. We love Christ. You love Christ. Let's do this," you know. So they can accept him. Um, any other? Were there any other thoughts on oh, that? Okay. So yeah. Okay. Call to be. He says next, call to be an apostle. So he says, "I'm a servant of Christ Jesus." And he says, I'm also called to be an apostle. And in that, there's a there's another interesting contrast in that to be a servant is a humble, um, lowly stature or position where you're serving someone. And then next he says, called to be an apostle, which is high honor, authority. There were only... Um, 13 of them Judas died um, but and so to, to say that he's saying I'm a servant but I'm one of the most important authorities in the history of the world when it comes to the Christianity and so yeah I was I was going to get into it um, praise the Lord that's good that's a good question because who the heck knows what the word apostle means right it's, it's a really, we don't go around saying the word apostle, um, but the Bible says it. So what an apostle is, is someone who basically, Jesus chose apostles when he was on the earth. He, uh, he chose people like Peter and James and John. When he chose them, they were to be like leaders in the church. Like they were going to be helping out churches, teaching Christians Um, Because this was a new faith, and so people needed, like, help figuring things out. So they were teaching, they were helping start new churches around the area, um, and you had to have qualifications. Like, you needed to see Jesus risen from the dead. Like, when when Jesus died on the cross, when he was buried, and when he rose again, he rose again, like, bodily, like, with flesh, and he walked around the earth. 500 people saw him. And if, if one, these apostles had to have seen him. So Paul saw him on his way to that city when he was trying to kill Christians. Jesus appeared to him and changed his life. So he qualified to be an apostle. So it's basically like a high, top-of-the-line authority figure in the church, basically. That's a... Yeah, that's a good point, because I have that down, is that apostles basically are like the prophets were in the Old Testament. So before Jesus, there were prophets who heard from God, and they spoke what God told them. And it was like, that is the word of God if they said it. So like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, when they spoke and said, this is what God says, that's what God said. If they were false, If a prophet started saying things like, God says this or that, and there was a lie, they would get killed. Like, they took it seriously. Like If you're trying to say God says this or that and it's not true, they would die. Um, So an apostle was basically like the prophet for after Jesus came. So when they said things, when they taught things, they had the authority basically where this is what God is saying. That's why we take Paul's words as the Bible, as God's word, because he was an apostle. Um, so we believe that God spoke through Paul for this letter to be literally the word of God that we read so yeah it is like a prophet in a different sense so um, so that was the next thing I was going to say so I can scroll through all this but basically he gives an interesting contrast between serving and that level of authority where he can speak the word of God and as Christians, we should have that same mentality where we are, I think like true leadership is serving people. And that's what Paul exemplified. And he said, I'm a servant and I'm the highest authority you can find around, but he serves. And so just a little thing out of that is that true leadership is, is serving other people. In, in Christianity for these apostles, it was never beating them over the head with their authority but is serving them and going humbly and low for people care about trying to do something you'll get down in the dirt and do it right and that's what paul did this guy this guy got whipped 139 times in his life like a legit whip with probably with like stuff in it like glass or rock to his back um 39 lashes five times in his life so i'm not good at math i don't know that's probably wrong math but it was 39 times Five different times in his life. That I know happened. The total, I don't know. I'm not good at math. But that happened to him. So this guy went. What is it? 195. 195. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. So he he laid down his life for the gospel, Um, and that's that's the next part of this here, is that he was a servant. He was called to be an apostle. And the next part says he was set apart for the gospel of God. And basically, is saying that his life was separated, and God said, "I'm going to use you to spread the gospel." Um, and what what I want to share about that is like, is to ask if if we um, think that way about ourselves, because like Paul was a special dude for sure. You know, we don't have the same authority as Paul the apostle had. But in the same way, we should also be thinking like that our lives, uh, if we're a Christian, is to be, our life is to be set apart for the gospel. Like saying, God, I want to be used to take your gospel, the good news that people all around this campus need, and I want to be used to share it with people. That's, That's the motivation that Paul had. He said, my life is set apart. I want to spend my life sharing the gospel, reaching people with this hope. Um, and he did that. And um, I want to take that and just say we should have that same zeal, that same passion, saying we are set apart for the gospel. Zest, Zest. yeah. Yeah, that same fire in our heart. So that, that's the first part where I said the origin of the gospel is God. God is the author of the gospel. He designed it. He came up with it because it says I was he said, I was set apart for the gospel of God. The origin of the gospel is God. Okay. Um, any thoughts or questions? Not at all. Cool. Alright. So moving on. He says, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Um, okay, this is, this is very important, I think. Yeah, it's pretty important. So, cons- uh, which he promised beforehand through his holy prophets, like you were mentioning, prophets um, in the Holy Scriptures. So before Jesus, uh, there is, let's see here, all of this writing. This is an especially big Bible, but all of this writing um, came before the life of Jesus Christ. This came after this came before the life of Jesus Christ It's called the Old Testament Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people who go to church, a lot of Christians, a lot of non-Christians mix up what this part is all about what this part before Jesus lived is all about there's tons of stories the stories about Israel um, what Israel did The failures, the successes of people like Abraham, Moses, uh, Isaac, Jacob, David, Daniel, Joseph. I might have said his name twice. Jonah. Did you say Jonah? Yep, Jonah. Um, And a lot of people mess this up, and they don't understand it. Um, All of this, what they do is that they take stories and they make it... I'm going to introduce a term. It's called moralism. Moralism, okay. Um, moralism, it is rampant in the church and Christianity. What it what it is is that people believe that this book is all about good morals. It's all about becoming a better person. It's all about just living better, thinking better, thinking more positively, um, being more loving to people, which are all important aspects of it, right? And so that's what they think, moralism. It's You need better morals, okay? And the, the truth is, is that the, the Old Testament, the entire Bible, is not about better morals. All of this before Jesus Christ came, all the stories, all the heroes of the Bible, they all pointed to Jesus Christ. It all pointed to him. Um, does, does anyone know where there's actually, like, the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. Like, the first mention of hope for humanity, salvation. You don't have to give me chapter and verse, but even, like, a story in the Bible you could think of. hmm hmm The first time there's any mention of the hope of Jesus Christ. Mm-mm. I not say Noah Noah, okay I don't want to say no. Oh, you don't You don't no, want to say it. it Okay. Uh huh. Mm. It was not with no. Noah It was really? not with Abraham nope. oh, earlier. No, earlier yeah, Oh No Nope
2: what
0: am I thinking That's alright, that's alright that. They both deal with water so I get you mix up. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. They end with a, uh, too. Um, so, the first time that the hope of the gospel is mentioned, does anyone know? Before I steal thunder, is in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The first two people ever created, Adam and Eve, all the way back to the first couple pages of the Bible, Jesus Christ is mentioned. And So here's what happened Is that the first people ever created They sinned against God They thought we can do this better God doesn't know what he's talking about This random snake who just slithered up to us Knows better than God himself And they sinned against God And God brought a curse Upon humanity Uh, He brought a curse Upon Satan And here's what God said He said this is him talking to Satan. He said, I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's very, uh, maybe not clear to you. Um, but basically, what God is telling her is that your offspring, from your offspring, um, from her offspring, there will be someone who will crush the head of Satan, but he will bite this person's heel from her offspring. And what that's prophesying to is the fact that Jesus Christ was killed. He was slaughtered. He was, um, in Romans, it says that he was descended from David. And what that's referring to is his the line. The Israelites were prophesying of a savior to come from the descendants of David, and so that's what Jesus came from. So what it's saying is that Satan brought Jesus Christ to be killed. He was murdered in a horrible way, hung on a cross. So that's the striking his heel part, like a snake striking, biting the heel of someone. So it's painful, but he said he will crush your head, referring to the snake, referring to Satan's head. So Jesus, by dying on the cross, was being Wounded was hurting, but he crushed Satan by defeating sin by defeating death um, and having victory so that was the first time Jesus Christ was mentioned it was in the third chapter of the Bible um, Dion, you're looking at me like I'm crazy is, I'm, I'm just kidding I'm just well, I had well, to like, p- this all, like, praise I the Lord of, <laughs> the thought of, like, I thought you were like this guy is out of his mind I'm <laughs> just kidding. Well, Um, So, yeah, but, okay, so here's the thing, is that there's stories of Adam, the first man to ever exist. Abraham, he's called the father of faith. Moses, he brought the people out of Egypt. David, he killed Goliath. He swung the stones and threw them and hit Goliath right in the head. Samson was super strong, right? Paul, he started all these churches. He wrote a lot of the Bible. And when people look at these, a lot of churches, they celebrate them with Sunday school and they're like, Look, kids, Samson was really strong. He's cool. He's great. And what they miss is that every single one of these people had horrible, fatal flaws in their life. Adam was a cowardly, passive dude who blamed his wife for the first sin, and he caused the the world to go into chaos with sin. Abraham told the Egyptians that his wife was actually his sister, So that when they wanted to sleep with his wife, uh, they wouldn't kill him to do it. So he said, it's just my sister. Talking about his wife. And that happened twice. So Abraham... Twice? Twice. He did it twice. He didn't learn from the first time. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. So Abraham was not a very um, perfect guy by any means. Moses doubted God could use him. And he smashed the Ten Commandments out of anger when God told him not to. David slept with the wife of a general in his army. And then she got pregnant. And to cover it up, he had the general in his army go to the front of the line so that he would be killed sooner. As the king, he could do that. He's had this guy get to the front of the lines to be killed in war. David was pretty messed up too. The guy who killed Goliath, yay. He was messed up too, right? Samson couldn't control his love for Delilah and he, this woman and he put her over God and he ended up dying. because He lost his strength because of that. Paul murdered Christians before he was saved and God chose that guy to get saved, a murderer of Christians. Peter was a total doubter of God. He denied Jesus three times when Jesus hung on a cross, he said, I don't know that guy. Again, I don't know that guy. Third time, I don't, he cursed. He said, I do not know who that is. And just an hour earlier, he said, I would never deny you, Jesus. I'll fight to the death for you. Denied him three times. So, well, he was, uh, Jesus told him that on this rock, meaning on Jesus himself, I will build my church. The Catholics would believe that he was the first pope I don't believe in that, but he was still a, a rock, a foundation of the church. You know, it
2: first? Go for
0: it. whoever. Well, I don't know because I believe I believe Catholics did a different thing. Like I don't think it's the faith. Um, whoever historically they appointed after Peter, I don't know to be honest. Yeah. But point being is that all of these heroes fail so bad. So if we say I got to be more like David, I got to I got to defeat the Goliath of anxiety and depression in my life. I just got to fight harder. I just got to be like Abraham and, you know, have faith in God and go do something crazy for Jesus. What's that? And the aspects of all of them is Jesus Christ. He, he's, he's the true, perfect man that we're supposed to look up to, basically. We're not to look up to Abraham, which we can, we should. He's a great guy. David, Paul, they were men worthy of being imitated. But what we need to know about them is that they were sinners just like us. Like, most of us probably won't sleep with another person and have their spouse killed you know, with someone else who's married? I hope not. Um, David did that, and yet he repented of it in his heart. And so what I'm trying to say is that the Bible is not about being a better person. It's not about looking to good examples of good people, but it's about the example of Jesus Christ being the perfect person who was the substitute that all of those heroes of the Bible desperately needed and never had until he came. So Jesus is the center of the gospel. He's the center of this whole book. It all points back to him. So the point of that was that the revelation of the gospel is scripture. Um, All of this scripture is the revelation of the gospel from front to end about Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, We are moving right along here. So... He promised this gospel beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, next verse, verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Um, So I explained everything from this verse in everything I just said 10 minutes ago. So the gospel is about Jesus Christ. When it says concerning his son, it means this gospel is concerning Jesus Christ. And like I said, he's descended from David, meaning he's in the descendants of the one the Israelites for thousands of years were saying, the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. And Jesus came from the line of David as the Savior of the world. Um, and according to the flesh means he was a human, like flesh, like just like you and me. So that's, that's verse three. Um, Verse 4. Can someone read verse 4? Just repeat it for us. Who who would be so kind to read verse 4? Donovan can read verse 4.
1: And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: Okay. Um, So that's kind of a... That's a kind of difficult verse to understand, the phrasing of it. Does anyone want to take a crack at it, like what they think? Verse 4... When the world is trying to say, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. A lot of clauses in there, like a very compound sentence. Any thoughts? Are you thinking like you're supposed to be saying this?
1: Uh, kind of like like saying he's like the Messiah, the ones the prophets were talking about that is, you know, to come from directly from heaven from God and so mm-hmm. he is like he's supposed to, he is the messiah that was to come and has come
0: right right yeah and that was proven or shown or declared through what how did he like declare it to the world that he's the one yeah
1: um why John that Baptist fantastic it was mm-hmm. A dark, a dark ah who came, uh, mm-hmm
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Different translations, sure.
2: Yeah.
0: So, what's before that point? He truly is the son of God. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So, what it was is a so. Like this says, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what it is is not him becoming the Son of God, but communicating that he is the Son of God through some sort of event. That, that was one, um, his baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon him. What this text is referring to is his resurrection. So when he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. What this is saying is that when Jesus did that, it was, a, it was an act that showed the world, communicated to all of creation, that this is the Son of God. It was a powerful act that said, in power, that this is the Son of God. I don't know how many people raised themselves from the dead. Jesus did. He rose from the dead. And he lives to this day. And by doing that, Matthew 28, it said, he says, All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So, by raising from the dead, he was given all authority over all creation. Jesus has authority over, over this country, over the state, over the city over this room that we're in, over every molecule that is in this room right now, Jesus is ruling over it with all authority over every bit of creation. And he earned that authority by raising from the dead and defeating sin and defeating death. So when this verse says that he was declared to be the son of God in power, it's a, it's a statement. It's, it's the act in which he um, earned the the authority of over all of creation is basically what that's saying by raising from the dead. Are there any any thoughts on that or confusing questions? Sure. Yeah, cool. So he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, And by our Lord... Paul's meaning of that again—that master idea, Lord Master—he he, um, is to be obeyed and to be followed. Um, so, verse five. Can someone read verse five? Anybody? Anyone with a, a servant's heart? Any willing taker here to just humble themselves? Read verse five. Anyone at all? Yes, Justin. After you. Mm-hmm. for the sake of time I'm I'm gonna hit on one super important thing um, so what do you do you have any any thoughts about verse five what you think what you got would you get out of that as you read it um through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. It's a packed verse. Um, so it's
1: his packed uh, verse.
0: besides Judas who was dead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay. Right. He
1: literally gave
0: us the command to go. Mhm. That was the mission. And Paul mentions the apostleship and the purpose of his being an apostle is to bring the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. That is such an awesome sentence that I want to break it down. I I, I love it. Um okay so Paul received grace and apostleship now here's the purpose of his his role why he's writing why he does everything that he does when you see the word to it says apostleship to like English says that that means here here comes the purpose of why Paul is an apostle why he's received grace to do this so why receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That's it. Stop right there. Um, Bring about the obedience of faith. What he's saying is that if you move on, it's for the sake of his name among all the nations. So what Paul wants is that all the nations, that, that there would be an obedience of faith from people in all nations. And so does anyone have any thoughts on like, what what the term obedience of faith might mean this is Paul's ultimate goal in what he's doing the obedience of faith
1: I think it means like to be obedient to God because because you want to like follow God not just to, like not so you can receive his grace and apostleship but so that you can but just because he is God and mm. you know you like you want to please him and out of your faithfulness for him you mm. want to obey him not to like just to receive something, mm-hmm. but you know, do it like out of the desire in your heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Any extra thoughts or okay? Yeah. So when he said, "Yeah," I'm so, oh, sorry. The obedience of faith. What it's saying is that faith is like that's the core of Christianity, like the Christian faith. Is it's it's not a like blind faith, like I hope the Bills are gonna win the Super Bowl this year kind of faith, which I do have, but it's always let me down, Um, (laughs) but (laughs) we made the playoffs, (laughs) but um, it's not a blind faith, but it's a faith that rests, he literally saw Jesus face to face, he, the apostles all saw Jesus, they saw him go to the cross and they all died for what they believed in so these people are not like coming up with a lie here they died for what they saw they said you can hang me on a cross upside down is what Peter did and you can do that but I believe what I saw because I know what I saw it's not a blind faith I saw it and he died for that and so Paul what he's saying here is a faith that rests in something sure in Jesus Christ and what Jesus did. And what he wants is that faith to go across the world, for all the nations to have that faith. But what he wants is the obedience of faith. And so what it's saying is, he's not saying like, I would love if people who have faith would like obey too, sort of thing. Like, guys, you have faith, but, but obey, you know? What he's saying is, I want the obedience of faith. The obedience that comes from faith. The obedience that always intermingles with faith. There's no separating the two of them. There's faith that, um, that brings the fruit of faith, which is obedience. And so, the point of that is that you cannot have faith in Jesus without obedience. There's no such thing. Like, If you believe in Jesus, if you have faith in him, you're saying, I believe what he said was true. I believe what he said, I should follow that with my life. I believe that he died for my sins. Um, Jesus calls people, there's a guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who lived in the Holocaust, who was in um, a concentration camp, he was a Christian, and he had a lot of Christian writings, and he said, when Jesus calls a man, he calls him to die. And not all of us physically die because of our Christian faith, but what he's saying is that we are we're to lay everything down for Jesus. Like everything that we everything we own, everything we care about should be like resting in our hand lightly. Like it shouldn't be like we're holding on to it like no Jesus don't don't take my iPhone. I don't want to get rid of my iPhone. I don't want to get rid of my my house in in Utica. I don't want to go to Africa, don't tell me I have to go to Africa or China or, or Europe or I don't want to go. I don't want to go for you, God. Like I want to stay here. Like He calls for an o- obedience of faith, where it's like when God speaks, we're to listen, and it proves if we really believe in Him, we will obey, not perfectly because I started this whole thing off saying you are all sinners and me too. We're all sinful. Um, But there's an obedience, there's a changed life that happens. When God changes someone's life, they change. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, true faith, Christianity always changes someone, is what I'm trying to get at. If you're a true Christian, your life changes. You look differently. You try to live like Jesus Christ. Um, The things that the world loves, the things that people who don't believe in Jesus, what they love, what the Bible condemns, we should not love either. And if we do, we should look into our own hearts and say, Am I really? do I really have this faith? Because Paul says there's an obedience that comes with this faith. So that's, that's a key part there. Now, he says, for the, this obedience, this is what I'm trying to bring about, of faith, for the sake of his name, among all nations. Um, and, okay, they're getting wild in there. Um, it's getting lit. So, this is the reach of the gospel. The reach of the gospel is all the world. He says, I want to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations. Unfortunately, today, it seems that Christianity is often linked to bigotry or racism in general. For some reason. Um... And that's unfortunate, because from the beginning to end of the Bible, um, we see that the goal of the gospel is for all nations, all people groups, every, the Bible says um, that one day, standing before God, will be a great amount of people that no one can count, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people group, from every language, standing before God. That's what the Bible promises will happen one day, that people from every single people group in the world will stand before God. So there's not an ounce of racism allowed in Christianity. The Bible doesn't allow for any of it. And unfortunately, because we are sinful, um, a lot of people who go to church um, end up not living like that. Um, Why do you think... Why do you guys think that a lot of times in the news or something, Christianity is often, it can be like associated with racism or bigotry of some sense with races, even though the Bible says differently. Do you guys have thoughts on that at all? or Opinions?
2: There's a lack of disassociation. Okay. Where um, you can be Christian, but racist. Not that this Christian is racist are racist.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So
2: hmm So you're not disassociating the two words. You're mm. using them as synonyms for each other.
0: Mm. Why do you think that happens?
2: I think it's just the way that uh, Christianity has been portrayed in the media. Think, mm. that you, you mentioned that. It's, yeah. It doesn't get a good rap. And Do
0: you think it's justifiable? No. I okay. I don't think it's justifiable yeah. to just stigmatize
2: it entirely because you interpret it from an outsider's perspective that sure. it's supposed to be this way.
0: hmm and you're associating every. words with group because that's what you see. And that's
2: legit. Every other thing when you're stereotyping. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that it's just
0: stereotyping. Like mm. yeah. Generalizing. Yeah, the
2: complete generalization.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Because just a couple people doesn't
2: make it the whole group or the whole person. Yeah, it also depends on like where the where the supposed position of power is in society. Where it's like, oh, well, Christianity is a big monolithic thing, so we better. Stigmatize the hell out of it because it's dangerous. It's bad group thing is bad, mm-hmm. and therefore all these things associated with that group are directly associated with that group. Everyone in the group thinks like
0: that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an easy target nowadays. It absolutely is an you know? easy target. Yeah. Okay. So Paul wants people to have faith in Jesus Christ. He knows that that will bring about obedience. He wants that to happen. All around the world, for, from every people group, every tribe. Um, so here's what he says The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So now that clause, for the sake of his name, that is the root of everything in the entire Bible, for the sake of his name. So what Paul is saying is that I want people to believe, I want people to obey. For the sake of God, for His name, for His glory. And so, this point is that the purpose of the gospel is the glory of God. It's the, the fame of God in, in the world, people honoring God like He should be honored. Um, and this is, this is the center of everything everything exists for the glory of God. You all exist for the glory of God. This school here exists for the glory of God, even though it wouldn't say that it does. You're not gonna find the mission statement of Sunni Pali saying, we exist for the glory of God. It does. God even uses sinful things, secular things, to end up for his glory because he created everything. He created the minds that you use in your majors that are way above my major no I mean I'm sorry you know they're all super smart I can't code I can't code I can do creative stuff on InDesign you know but like you, you're probably better than me at all this stuff too but like all these coders in here you engineers in here you're brilliant you know ouch well I didn't, I didn't want to go there that hurts man I'm just kidding I, didn't even, I don't even know what I did in college, so I understand, I understand what you're saying. Um, so when I say everything exists for the glory of God, what in the world do you think that even means? Because that's, that's a broad, generalizing statement. What, what does it mean that you exist for the glory of God? Because, I ask that because that's the most important thing you could ever know, is that your whole life purpose whether you agree with it or not, I'm just presenting the news here, uh, is that you exist for the glory of God. What do you think that means? Did you? We, just that. we exist to serve our mm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay go,
1: sorry yeah, like we're we're meant to show how powerful god is and how great he is we're not yeah. meant to show off our own gifts that god has given us in the first place we're not meant to show like how great we are or, like how great something else is we're yeah. supposed to because it, it, eternally all belong or in turn all belongs to god it's all god is in the first place so yeah it's really to show how great god is and how amazing uh of, like, all the amazing things that he's done for us. Yeah.
0: Okay. So let me let me paint a picture of what it looks like to glorify God. Um, super important. Because there are, like, there are pieces of it that we get, like serving him, loving him, obeying him, believing in him. But, okay, imagine that you create something. Whatever your major is, you create something. You write an essay. Um... You design a bridge. You do some coding. You design a website. You paint some piece of art. You create something. And you're really all about this. This wasn't a last minute um, Wikipedia, quick type up an essay, copy and paste stuff like a total cheater and change the words in it um, like I did in high school. Uh, I got saved after high school. it's not something you're like, ah, whatever, I don't care about this. It's something you've take, t- taken time on. You've put so much effort into it. You're like, people are going to love this. I love this. Everyone else should love this. You, you create this thing, right? And you present it to people. You say, voila. You, pres- you give the essay to your professor. You give some speech. You show something in front of the class. And they're all just kind of like, they're just like, whatever. They're not saying anything you show it to them you're so pumped about it and they're just like this you're like whatever dude and then you you walk back to your seat someone else presents and you're just like dang like, I worked 8 months on that project Like I put everything into this why didn't anyone care about that um, that isn't you want the praise for your creation that you think it's due you created something you're like this is worth people jaw dropping, being like, yo, that's amazing, dude. This is, deserves an A plus for my professor. This essay is beautiful. Um, you think it should be praised for how much it's worth. So, God is worth an unthinkable, inexhaustible, infinite amount of praise because of who He is, what He's done the fact that every breath that I take is a gift from God. And sometimes I sin with that very breath that I've given, and all of us do too. And so, what it means to glorify God is to enjoy Him, to worship Him, to delight in Him, to take joy in Him for exactly how He's worth. Being enjoyed, being praised, being honored. It's not necessarily like I'm going to obey him today, like, I've got to obey God. He needs that glory, you know, got to open my Bible. If we open our Bible and read a chapter, we're not glorifying God if we don't enjoy it like what we're doing. Glorifying God means enjoying him as he's meant to be enjoyed. So your life exists to enjoy God as he's meant to be enjoyed because he's the most enjoyable thing Like, I'm literally promising you that he's the most enjoyable thing you could ever pursue with your life. Um, John Piper, he's a great preacher. I love John Piper. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So if you want to figure out how you give God the most glory with your life, that's the purpose statement Paul is saying. He's like, this is it for the sake of his name. The way to do that is he is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. That means all the offers of the world, all the sin, um, sex, money, fame, drugs, alcohol, friendships, which are good, social media, which is fine. But if that all satisfies you more than God, if that gives you more joy and pleasure more than God, then he is not glorified. And you're actually... C.S. Lewis says it's like, it's like eating dirt pies when you could be going on a cruise in the Caribbean. Like pursuing a life of those quote-unquote pleasures is like eating dirt compared to pursuing a life pursuing God. And so to glorify God is to enjoy him as he ought to be enjoyed. Um, so that's like a super super important thing. And I think that that's what I want to... Um, I know there's more text here. It says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all of you in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, main thing I wanted to hit on in, in that text, again, this is... this. Uh, this is about the Gospel, this is explaining the the reach of the Gospel to all nations, the purpose of the Gospel, um, the, the goal of the Gospel, the origin of the Gospel, the, the revelation that we have of the Gospel in Scripture alone. All of this is meant to point to God. It's all for His name's sake. It's all um, enjoying God. Um, one last thing before I like ask if you have any questions at all. Um, is that a lot of times we think, okay, I have to glorify God. That means I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot. Like, I'd love to be happy today. I'd love to just sit on my bed, do nothing, I'll listen to whatever music I want to listen to, hang out with the friends I want to hang out with. But this this God person wants me to do church and read my Bible. This is going to be pretty lame. So i got to glorify him, though. That's not what it's like. Like I told you, is that... Um, When you lay down everything in your life to pursue God with your whole heart you will not be disappointed. Your greatest happiness comes with God's greatest glory in your life. So if you're looking for your greatest happiness, which all of you are, whether you think so or not, you all want to be happy, you will find it in God. You will find it in living a life devoted to God because God is the source of the greatest happiness. David says in the Psalms that God you have given me more joy in my heart than those whose grain and wine abounds, meaning people who have all the pleasures of the world. You, God, have given me more joy in my heart. So when you lay your life down to pursue God, you're not giving up, actually, ultimately everything, because you're finding your greatest happiness in doing that. Even though it may be hard, and it will be hard, you'll have to not have the same friends, not hang out at the same places you may be used to, not do the same things, listen to the same music. But the joy that comes from that makes it all an easy choice. That's what I want to say. So when Paul says, for the sake of his name, it's a profound statement of the purpose of every single one of us and all of creation is for the sake of his name. So that is the introduction. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Do any of you guys have thoughts or questions? Just literally, did did I say everything wrong? Do you want to point it out? Did I miss it? I just a little bit. Just a little bit of heresy in there. <laughs> if not, that is totally okay. I remember them mentioning something about how laws were not sin, but
2: in a way we're sinful?
0: Okay. In the first chapter, beyond our. Yes. Okay? Like
2: they weren't inherently sinful, but in pursuing them, a certain, I
0: don't remember mm.
2: the way they said it's in pursuing mm. the laws, mm-hmm. you were open
0: to sin. Mm. Do you remember? It's in the first chapter? Uh, first, not the first chapter. It's the, mm.
1: the, the life the Interesting. To twelve through like 1, like thirty. For all who have said with, without the law will also perish without the law. That was like around there. Is it like seventeen? I think. What if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God? Know whose will and approve what is excellence because you are instructed from the law. And starting there. Is this talking more about not going
2: against your morals because of the
0: If I could find, I would have to see the verse you're referring to to know.
1: If the law says to go against God, if the law goes against God's law, do not the law because it is human law, not
0: his law. Yeah. So even though I can't find this verse, I can at least clarify, because I, um, all, when, when Paul is talking about the law, at least in these first few chapters, it's always referring to the law that God gave himself okay. to the Jewish people. That's why he's referring to the Jews so much.
1: I think it's 25
0: through 29. It's like the last paragraph. Like right ah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, it's basically God's law to the Jewish people. And it was meant for them to obey. But the Bible reveals, which we'll get into, that ultimately the, the laws and the rules that God gives... Are meant to show you how sinful you are and they were meant um, to show the Jewish people your standard falls so short like look here's my law this is what I always obey as God this is what who I am it's the law is basically a reflection of the character of God shown to us and how we should live and and so the Jews Thought they could obey the law, they're like they said to Moses, "Yeah, we can obey that." When he had the Ten Commandments, and they just did horribly. They did not obey it, and they missed the point. They and to this day we miss the point with law, rules, good morals, good works. They wanted to earn God's favor by trying to obey as much of the law as possible, when they could never do that because even in the laws they did obey, it was only the external. Um, Obedience. So their heart wasn't in the right place when they were obeying to begin with. It wasn't a humble desire for God to be glorified. It was, look at me, I'm obeying the law, I'm holy, I'm righteous. And they weren't. So the law just reveals the heart of man even more. It says, you, can, you can't live up to my standard. And it just magnifies, like the color, the color um, white contrasts most with the color black. Right? And so when you have the law and you have Jesus, you see, this is how horribly sinful you are. Contrast, it shows, wow, this is how gracious God is. If I'm this sinful according to the law, then God is that gracious if he sent a son, his, the Savior of the world, to save me. So what the law does is it's not something to, we obey it, we do, but it's not to show us how to earn God's favor. It's to show us, like, wow, Jesus is gracious for saving me, because I obey that or I disobey that a lot. That's what the law, the purpose of the law was. So, any other thoughts or questions? All right. Does anyone want to close us out in prayer? Anyone else? Um, close up this time here. Any brave souls? Okay, I'll do it. <clears throat> God, I thank you for this gospel. Uh, I thank you that we have this hope. Um, God, that that you sent your son, Jesus, to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that we should have died for our sin. Um, to defeat death by raising from the dead and to this day he lives. Jesus lives Um, and I thank you for that victory God. I pray that you would, for all of us in here God, even me, our tendency as people is to think that if we just do good, you'll love us more. God, but it's not the point because we could never be good enough, Um, but we're meant to fall and rest on you. We're meant to trust in Jesus Christ as our only hope, not our works, but only in Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the hope of your gospel, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. That's a wrap. That is a wrap.